welcome to The Karen Kenny Show. I'm a certified spiritual mentor, hypnotist, writer, integrative change worker, and life coach. I always say, this whole being human thing is kind of like an ongoing problem. So on this show, I tell everyday stories interwoven with spiritual principles, practical tools, and plenty of humor to help us transform from pain to peace, from wound to wisdom, from your story to your glory, and ultimately from fear back to love. Hey, welcome to the Karen Kenny Show and welcome to 2024, you guys. <laughs> can you believe it? We friggin' made it. <laughs> if you can if you can hear the sound of my voice right now, we survived 2023 and here we are rolling rolling into 2024. I don't know. I've got a I I might I might live to regret this saying this. But I I got a wicked good feeling about 2024. I think 2024 is going to surprise a lot of us and we're going to have some fun. So I want to I want to just start off with saying a few things before I dive into this wicked important episode. So first of all, rolling into 2024, you might have noticed, you might have noticed I have new artwork for the show. So my podcast cover art has slightly changed a little bit. I have a new little tagline. And what's interesting is that um, the tagline that even though there, I didn't used to have a tagline, the heartbeat of that tagline is always run through all of my shows, which is trying to just spread more love in the world. Spreading more love in the world is what I'm trying to do, okay? Trying to help help the peoples navigate uh, this whole human uh, being, being human experience and trying to help people and 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 some suffering, have a little less suffering, help the animals, a little less suffering, right? And just spread some more love in the world. So I was wicked excited about that. Um, I also, you might notice I had a new intro, a new intro, the music is great. And I just want to thank my sweetie, um, Chris Lesta, <laughs> because he did the original music uh, for the show, and he also tweaked all of this uh, to make it work for my new intro. And I have a new outro, so if you stay to the end, you're going to hear that sucker too. So just a big thank you um, to my sweetie, Chris Lesta, my husband, he's a professional musician, as many of you may know. Um, and I also want to say thank you to my podcast team, uh, to Erron. And uh, Erron has been, God bless, God bless, amen and hallelujah for Aaron. <laughs> I call her Erron, but for Aaron for um, uh, helping me. Like, guys, we're going on almost five years, almost five years of pumping this this sucker out. So uh, she's been with me the whole way. I just love her and appreciate her so much. So Amplify You team and uh, Erron, thank you so much for everything. Um, and speaking of spreading more love in the world, you guys, this episode is so near and dear to my heart. Um, you, you're going to hear why when I get into it, but it's so near and dear to my heart. And it's also a little love letter to any other IBS sufferer, to all the IBS sufferers everywhere, because we are everywhere all across the world. Um, this is a little love letter from, from my heart to yours. So you guys, I actually made, I have so many notes for this show. If you're not listening, uh, if you're not watching, you're just listening, I'm holding up all these pieces of paper. I have so many notes for this show because I have so much that I want to share, so much that I want to say. I'm going to try to say it quickly, 
not so fast that you can't you can't hear me you know it was like a blur <laughs> it's not not so I sound like I'm on four times speed but I want to try to get through it all I don't know how long this episode is going to be I'm going to do my best my best to speak clearly concisely and get you some not only tell my own personal story and now what I'm doing to help others who are suffering from IBS. First, how I help myself and now how I am helping others. And that's another new thing in 2024. I'm going to be doing, um, so if you're not on my list, let me just say this up front. If you're not on my list yet, if you have not, if you're not in my little email family, go to karenkenny.com slash sign up. Get on that sucker so you know all about the offers, the shenanigans, the events, the things I'm going to have going on in 2024 because I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently. Um, and if you want to be in the know, I know there's going to be opportunities for us to maybe meet in person, to do some work online, workshops, sh the, the shop, a shop, <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff, story time, hypnosis, all kinds of things. So, okay, here's the thing. I want to dive into this. So this, this episode is really near and dear to my heart. I'm going to try to get through all of this. And I'm kind of looking at this episode as part one. And then next week's episode is going to be kind of part two. It's a standalone episode, but it's also going to be part two. And I'll explain why in a little bit. So all I want to say up front is ch -ch -ch, buckle up for safety. <laughs> buckle up for safety. Because we are diving into all things irritable bowel syndrome. IBS. So I'm going to start, of course, with my my a story. I always start with the story, right? The title of this episode, Help for IBS, is uh, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. And I'm going to be talking about how I helped myself uh, manage and uh, handle IBS and now how I help others. So if you're somebody who is currently uh, an IBS sufferer or you know somebody or love somebody who is, Seriously, just pause for a moment, right? Get yourself a piece of paper, get a pen, get something to write with. Um, but definitely, definitely for the IBS people in your life, for the people in your life who have digestive distress, digestive disorders, maybe want to send this one. Make a note to yourself right now. Write down the person in your life who has IBS that you know. Because let me tell you something, you know somebody. You could throw a rock right now probably and hit somebody because the numbers say, some some statistics say one in four people, some say one in five. I've seen up to one in seven, but really it's like 15% is an even number. But I've seen the statistics say between 10% and 20%. So if we say 15 to 20%, we're probably landing in the true ball uh, ballpark. So you know somebody in your life who probably has this issue. Um, they might also though quietly suffer because of the stigma and the shame of talking about quote unquote body functions, right? And like Americans can be really weird sometimes. You know, yeah, there's that whole crew that is, there's a bunch of people who are really comfortable, myself included, talking about body functions, like all the stuff the body does, but there's a lot of shame, a lot of body shaming and weird body stuff, right? We know this, we, we like the weird things people don't like to talk about. Um, and so part of this episode for me is a way to also uh, break the shame, break the stigma, and to have some adult conversations about something that so many people in the world, across the world, are suffering with. So we're going to dive into this. Like I said, get a pen, get some paper, and let's go. So, okay, something you should know. When people who have IBS, one of the things we talk about is having an IBS attack. 
This is what it's like when you're like, oh my God, my IBS is acting up. I am having an IBS attack. So I had my very first IBS attack when I was 15 years old. I think it was like 1984-ish. And just imagine this. And you guys who are local to Massachusetts and New Hampshire, you're, you're going to know Cannibal Lake Park, okay? So I'm at, I'm at Cannibal Lake Park with my boyfriend and his family. I'm standing in line to get on the roller coaster. Of course, a roller coaster is one of the most popular rides that there is. And we're kind of like at the front of the line. And all of a sudden, you know when that thing hits. If you've ever had um, a stomach bug, if you've ever had um, wicked bad diarrhea, if you've ever had this that moment when literally your body breaks out in sweat, your stomach clenches, you are gripped, gripped by pain. And all you know is I have to go to the bathroom now, no, like now, like squeeze your butt cheeks, run. You know what I'm talking about? So the first time this ever happened, and you can imagine I'm a 15 year old girl. I'm with my boyfriend and his huge family, right? At Cannibal Lake Park in line. Now I have to somehow get the fuck out of this huge line. So I got to like push my way past people. I don't even have time to say anything to my boyfriend to explain what's going on. I literally feel the cramp, feel the pain, feel the urgency. I, I, I'm so embarrassed, but all I can think about is must get to the restroom. Got to get to the bathroom. So I just kind of break my way through the line. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, right? Boom, 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 boom. And thank God, Thank God, right? And I used to work at Cannibal Lake Park. <laughs> my the summer, the summer between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, I worked at Cannibal Lake. So thank God I knew where the bathrooms were. Um, uh, because there was one right across from the roller coaster. Okay. So um I bolt across and I basically spend, and this is not an exaggeration. This is not like for good storytelling. I'm trying to make it dramatic. When I tell you, you guys, I was on the toilet, strapped to that toilet for at least two hours. And I was doubled over in the kind of pain that I had never, ever, ever experienced before. It was so awful. It was so awful. And it was so embarrassing. And um, his cousins, who were like friends of mine, and his mother, who was like my second mom, um, you know, they kept coming in and saying, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, like, but I was not okay. Let me just tell you this. I was not okay. <laughs> and somehow, somehow I managed hours later to finally leave the bathroom. But I was like, I had no idea what had just happened to me. Um, everybody's like, oh, maybe you just got food poisoning. Maybe you just had, you know, a bad snack, like whatever we ate right that day at the Cannibal Lake Park, whatever it was, it didn't matter. It was friggin' awful. It was horrifying and humiliating. Okay. So let me just put this in context though. So I'm 15 years old. It's about three years after my mother's been killed. Okay. Most of you know, if, you, if you're if you new to the show and you've never, ever heard my origin story, go listen to episode one, my origin story. And basically you'll hear about my childhood. My mother was murdered when I was 12, the whole kit and caboodle, right? So after my mother was killed, my whole life was turned upside down. I was stressed out. I was traumatized. And um, I was in a family that didn't know how to talk about hard things. And my childhood was tough. The environment that I grew up in was tougher. 
And uh, in order to survive, I was just that kid. And a lot of blue collar New England kids can can relate to this. You know, we were all taught to suck it up and stuff it down. So there was no talking about your feelings. There was definitely in my family, no talking about my poor dead murdered mother. And the fact that, um, you know, I was now living with total strangers and sharing a room with my sister. And like I said, just traumatized and stressed out of my mind. So um, after about three years, after that first IBS attack, um, I had, I, I kept having like intermittent and sporadic flare-ups and attacks at the most inopportune times, right? So I was an athlete my whole life. Um, I was a cheerleader. I played softball um, from the time I was five to the time I was, you know, 17 going on 18. And so this is like my last year and a half or two years of, of high school. And thank God when we had home games, we would play across the street from this little bodega. And so I would have to often just like bolt across the street and thank God, thank God for the owner of that establishment that he let me use his bathroom. And at this point, I wasn't connecting any dots. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't know what was happening other than I had an urgent need to use the bathroom. And after like three years of like blinding pain, um, unbelievable, massive bloating, you guys. And I know, I know an IBS listener right now is either shaking their head, laughing, doing double A men hands because they can totally relate to this. But there are times when I could become so bloated. I'm not even exaggerating. I, I look like six months, seven months pregnant. Like I, my stomach would get so distended and so bloated. Um, and so after like three years of all of this stuff, it's like embarrassing, unpredictable, urgent trips to the bathroom at the most inconvenient times, right? Uh, I, I became desperate, desperate for answers. And so by this time I'm at BU, I'm away at school. And here's the other thing, right? So I basically have no parents. I lived with my aunt and uncle who I didn't know like after my mother was killed. And now here I am, I'm 17 years old. I'm dropped off at BU, Boston University, by the grace of God, I got into college somehow, right? But I'm on my own. I'm on my own. There's no parental advice. There's no, uh, nobody's helping me navigate how to be in college, where I get my meal cards, where I pack my car. All like it is, I am like jacked out of my mind with adrenaline and cortisol and all those stress hormones, just like gripping, gripping life and trying to, to stay alive. And on the outside, I put on a wicked good tough act, right? I put on a wicked good tough act. And I, I remember David Green, David Green was one of my, my friends in, in college, uh, wicked smart. Man, is David Green wicked smart. But he told me not a, a few years ago when we connected on Facebook, he said, I was telling my wife about you. He said, I told her you were the toughest girl I've ever met. You were the toughest girl I ever met. And I started laughing and I said to him, I was like, David, it was all an act. It was all an act. It was all a tough act. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really a, a nice person on the inside. <laughs> I said, but I had a lot of fear. Uh, so of course I had my dukes up, right? I was a mass hole. I was a friggin' mass hole doing my best to get through college. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I had, and but my body was responding, right, to so many things that were going on inside of me. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm now at BU. I'm desperate for answers. So I go down to the student health center and um the doctor, I meet with the doctor and he doesn't officially quote unquote diagnose me, but this is what he says. He says to me um, that he thought he could name, he could name what he quote unquote thought was wrong with me. Uh, he wasn't though. And while he could give me a name for what he thought it was, what he couldn't really offer me is any help or any hope. Um, because basically he just handed me a pamphlet and you guys, I swear to you. So I'm one of those kids 
And I don't know how this is possible. I don't know how it is that I've moved like 40 times in my life and I've held on to the most unbelievable things. So I'm going to show you something right here. So this is the pamphlet. I still have it. I still have it. This is the pamphlet that I got. Hold on a second. I'm going to pause this so I can find it because I thought I'd, oh, here it is. It's right in front of me. Durr. Okay. So look at this little pamphlet, you guys. So those of you who are listening and not watching, I'm holding up this orange pamphlet. It's from July, 1987 is when it was printed. So I got this sucker, I got this sucker like way back in the day. And on the front, it says it's orange. I don't know. It's like, I don't know, half of a half of a, a quarter of a page size big or whatever, lettuce size big. On the front, it says irritable bowel syndrome. And there's a little, little like stick figure person and they have like a target, like a target right on there. Um, lower ab abdomen, like where their intestines and everything is. And it's called irritable bowel syndrome and you. And this is appropriate. This little symbol of feeling like you have a target on you is so appropriate because we feel like we're having an attack. And this is what it says. Your doctor has diagnosed your problem as irritable bowel syndrome. Here are some important facts about IBS. And it goes on to say, you know, it's not cancer. It doesn't lead to cancer. It's not an ELSA. It's not life-threatening. You will not become an invalid because, because of this. I'm literally quoting from this thing. Um, and it says, attacks are most often brought on by certain life situations. And it goes on, right? It's this little pamphlet. I'm going to hold it up again so you can see it. So if you're curious about this, you guys, just for shits and giggles, you can watch this episode. Okay, so I get this thing. So he hands me this. And do you know what the guy says to me? He gives me no support, no hope, no help, other than to say, this is literally what he said to me. He says, it sounds like you have irritable bowel syndrome. It sounds like you have IBS. Try to eat more fiber and lead a less stressful life. Try to eat more fiber. First of all, I don't even know what that means. I'm like, hello, have you met me? At that point, I'm like, I don't even know what that means, eat more fiber. I'm thinking salads, Metamucil, brand, brand muffins. I don't even know what that is. Eat more fiber and then try to lead a less stressful life. Okay. Okay. I'm like 18 years old. I'm on my own, right? My mother's dead. I have no place to go on holiday breaks, right? Like I can crash at my sister's house maybe. But like my life is, is held together by a finely, a fine thread of me just sucking it up, stuffing it down, being tough, being strong, being persistent. But I'm like, dude, do you know my life? lead a less stressful life. Are you high? Are you like out of your mind? I was like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that kid. That's what that felt like. Okay. So then, okay. After that, he gives me the pamphlet and all that stuff. So a few years later, I finally go and see a gastroenterologist. Gastroenterologist. Now it might've been shortly after that. This, this period is a little fuzzy, but then I go to the gastroenterologist and then you basically have to strip down naked you get poked and prodded, all right? I, I had to basically choke down this cup of like chalky barium liquid so that they could then watch it do some x-rays and they could watch it go down my digestive tract to see if there are blocks and like weird shit and all this stuff, okay? We get to the end of the whole thing. And again, it's mortifying. Like you're in this place, you don't know what's going on. People's bodies are in the bathrooms making really weird noises because they've either 
haven't eaten for 24 hours. They've gotten some sort of an enema. They've gotten a colonoscopy. They've gotten all these different tests and you're just hearing things and smelling things and you don't know what's wrong with you and you're completely overwhelmed and you don't even know if your health insurance, if you have it, is going to cover it. You know, it was just like, oh my God, right? I don't even know if I had health insurance at 18. I don't even know what was going on. But here's what that doctor said to me. He says, there's nothing physically, physically wrong with you. Oh, okay. There's nothing physically wrong with your digestive tract. It looks like you have IBS. Okay, so there it is. I get the official diagnosis. And I just want to say this to the listeners, right? It is really important. It is wicked important that you actually go and get an official diagnosis from a doctor, that you don't play Google doctor, that you don't play medmd.com doctor, that you, if you suspect that you have IBS, don't do a thing of deduction of your own by looking at all the symptoms. Go, because a lot of times IBS can mimic more sinister conditions, more sinister diseases. So you do want to go. And in fact, um, the work that I do with people in, for IBS, and you'll hear more about this at the end, um, I, I won't start my sessions with you and working with you until you have an official diagnosis because that's how important it is. We don't need any armchair doctors, right? So go and get the official diagnosis and we'll talk more about how they do that in a little bit. Okay, so now I have a name for what's wrong with me. I officially, quote unquote, officially now have IBS, okay? I've been labeled, I've, I've got the pathology. This is what's wrong with me, okay? And while it was really good to like have a name for what was happening in my body, what they still didn't know, and they still don't to this day, you guys, we are talking, go back 1987-ish to now, do the math, 2023, they still don't know what causes IBS. They do not have a cure, medical term, right? A cure for IBS. And they certainly didn't know... Um, what to tell me that I could do with myself, except this guy also said the same thing, okay? Basically, he was like, try to eat more salads, drink some, uh, you know, Metamucil, you know, that really gritty, like, um, psyllium fiber drink, that orange drink that's like, oh, 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 yeah, eat more salads, drink some fiber, and try not to get stressed. Again, I'm like, oh my God. So once again, I leave with more questions than answers. And I am like, basically, as we would say, shit out of luck. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. This is my, my personal story. It goes on and on and on and on. So I'm going to try and I'm just trying to give you the, the kind of the big landing points, right? First IBS attack. First time I go to the doctor after suffering, 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 go, go finally go to a, a official diagnosis, gastroenterologist and find out. Okay, great. Here we are. Okay. So it also, here's the other thing that happened at the doctors. And I know, I know for a fact that IBS sufferers everywhere can probably um, relate to what I'm about to say. I also kind of felt like every time I went to go see a doctor about my IBS, uh, they would say, they would say things to me insinuating that this, this IBS quote unquote functional, quote unquote functional disorder was somehow either like my own fault because I was too stressed. I was leading too much of a stress-filled life, right? Or, or it was all in your head. Because here's the thing about IBS, you guys. When they go in to look at what's going on inside of you, it's different than other disorders or diseases where they can actually find something physically wrong. Meaning they can go inside you and 
like if you have a particular disorder, right? They can go inside you and say, oh yeah, there's inflammation here. Yes, you have, you know, pus pockets. Yes, there's this, there's this. We see where the bowel isn't functioning. None of that happens with IBS. They go inside, right? With their scopes and their drinks and their x-rays and their ultrasounds and their pills and the pushing, all the stuff, the prodding, the prodding, the pushing. And what they come out and they say, everything looks normal. <laughs> and you're like, what? And we'll, we'll talk about that later. Okay. So um, basically it wasn't until 2001, you guys, and I'm going to break it down and I'm going to, I'm going to break it down more on the back end. I'm just trying to get through this. It wasn't until like 2001 that I finally started to get a little bit of um, a glimmer of information that actually felt helpful. And I stumbled upon, I stumbled upon back then, 2001. So we're talking 22 years ago, right? 2000, in year 2000 was when I first discovered my now mentor's name. Okay. He's my mentor now, but back then he was just a name in a book. And I'm going to tell you about that. So that's when I first discovered who is now my IBS mentor and that I started to feel even an inkling of hope. But this went on for years and years and years and years. So before I actually had a mentor, I continued to experience debilitating, debilitating physical symptoms combined with, oh yeah, because it is like a, uh, a bonus. Not only do you get debilitating physical symptoms, you also get a dose of overwhelming fear and anxiety. Yeah, just a little extra emotional fear and anxiety to go along with it. Some people get depressed. Some people get anxious out of their minds. But really, there's just this loop and cycle of fear. And you feel so victimized. You feel so betrayed by your body. You're like, how do I do this? I have to eat to survive. But every time I eat, I suffer. Oh, my God. Okay. So then I started to get bathroom anxiety. Okay. My bathroom anxiety, meaning always needing to know where there's a bathroom. And if you don't know where there's going to be a bathroom, if there won't be a bathroom, I'm not going, right? In my bathroom anxiety, that stress, that fear of what if I have an accident? What if, so I call it like the, the worst case scenarios, the worry and the what ifs, right? What if I have to go to the bathroom is like my number one fear in life, right? It's like, what if I have to go to the bathroom and there's no bathroom and I'm stuck in traffic or I'm stuck on an elevator or I'm stuck on a plane or I'm stuck in a line or I'm in somebody else's car or what if, right? What if I shit my pants? What if something awful happens? right? These are real, like, and people can laugh about them. And that's one of the things of why there's shame and stigma, because you see it across the board on TV, in shows, um, humor, whatever, right? They did it. I mean, I can name a few shows, but I know they did it um, on the, um, the Sopranos. They gave one of the characters IBS and they made fun of it. And basically, you know, IBS gets made fun of all the time, but I will tell you this, for those of us who have it, it's not fucking funny. It is truly debilitating at times. It is life-changing and it can, be, um, it can be a joy sucker. And it affects your life, it affects your relationships, it affects your career, it affects so many things, your ability to travel, all these things. We're gonna talk about this stuff. Okay, but at one point, my bathroom anxiety, you guys, got so bad, I almost started to be, feel like I was gonna be housebound. I was literally popping like, emodiums all day long just so I could go out and like teach my yoga classes and like do stuff. And it was wicked bad. It was really bad for a long time. Um, 
Okay. And then fast forward like 40 years, and this is where we are today. And that's where I, I'm reporting back now from the field, right? I always say, I will be steadfast. I will be resolute, right? I'm going to make my full report, <laughs> right? So there's a character in this book um, that I love. And that's like, I, I it's a playoff of that, right? I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be resolute. I'm going to make my full report. So here we are now. We're going to fast forward like 40 years after reading so many books, after going to so many expensive appointments, trying, we I've tried every weird supplement there is, you guys. I've taken antispasmodic medications. I've done wind relieving exercises. I've tested all the, I shouldn't say all, most of the alternative practices. I've changed my diet and I have lost so much money to shysty practitioners. Because the thing with IBS sufferers is we hit a point where we are so desperate for help. We just want something, anything, anybody to help us, to help us end our suffering. And we're willing to try all the things, pretty much sometimes anything, right? To try and do it. And after a shit ton of suffering, after a shit ton of strategizing and learning and researching and studying and training and getting certifications and education and firsthand lived experience. I'm now happy to report <laughs> that I have discovered some things. I have put them into practice for many, many, many years, and I can now turn around and help other people. And this is what we're going to talk about at the end of the show, how I am now taking all the stuff that I've learned for having, right, from having IBS since I was 15 years old to now where I'm 55. So 40 years, you guys, I've had my finger on the pulse of things. And um, I have found one thing above everything else. I'm not saying that the other things aren't helpful, but there is one thing in particular that has made a huge difference in helping me that has been effective at helping me manage and reduce IBS symptoms. And I'm going to tell you about that in a little bit. But first, I want to do a little more education because I know somebody's going to be listening to this and they're going to be like, okay, can you tell us more about this IBS stuff and like what, what it really is? So I'm going to just, this part I can go through pretty quickly, okay? So um, I've already told you the stats, like one in five people, between 10 to 20% of people have or will experience IBS at some point in their life. Okay, it affects twice as many women as it does men. And look, IBS does not discriminate. It does not care if you are a little kid or you are the elderly. Everybody in between, both men and women get it, right? Little kids get it. Elderly people get it. Of course, there are certain ages and groups that tend to have it more severely or it shows up more regularly in those certain age groups after all the statistics and, and studies and stuff like that. But I'm going to keep it pretty broad and vague here. One in five people, think about that. If you're just in a room, look around. You're in a room of 20 people, look around. About four people probably have it. The symptoms include this, in case you're wondering. So what does it look like to have IBS? They can be any of these following constipation. And these are usually like ongoing, not just a one-off, you guys, like ongoing constipation, right? Um, diarrhea, abdominal bloating and gas, abdominal pain, spasms, cramps, right? IBS attacks, as we call them. And also stress, anxiety, depression. And the symptoms often show up in um, ways of diminishing your quality of life. It is really not just a physical thing. There is also mental components. We'll get into that. And there is also there's physical components, there's mental components, there's emotional components. And I believe there's also spiritual components, but we can talk about that another time. Okay, so 
How we get diagnosed is by taking, it's interesting. There is actually no test that says you have IBS. The way that you discover that you have IBS is more a process of elimination. It's more running a bunch of tests to discover what you don't have. Okay, that's really important that I say that. So back in like 1994, I wanna say it was 94, the first Rome criteria, it's a diagnostic guideline called the Rome criteria of trying to figure out um, you know, what, what you have. So I'll just tell you officially, the Rome criteria is a set of criteria used by clinicians, doctors, to classify a diagnosis of a patient who either has, and I'll explain what these mean, who either have FGID or DGBI. I'll say those again and I'll tell you what they mean in a moment. F-G-I-D or D-G-B-I. So right now there's no test for IBS, but you might need some tests to rule out other possible causes of your symptoms. That's really important to know that. Okay, there's a bunch of different tests you can take, okay? So there's like a stool micros, stool macros, this is so hard for me to say, stool mi micro microscopy, microscopy, right? Where they basically take a piece of your poop, they put it under a microscope and they look at it and they try to see what's going on there. Okay, there's blood tests they can take, like full panel, full spectrum blood tests, right? But these are all tests for other things to make sure you don't have other more sinister things, right? This is more of a of a test that is um, by elimination, right? Ruling other things out. Okay. There's the barium swallow test with x-rays, often called like an upper GI or a lower GI. There's abdominal ultrasounds. There's endoscopies or endoscopies. I think it's endoscopies, sigmoidoscopies, colonoscopies, right? There's small bowel biopsies. There's hydrogen breathing tests. So they do all this shit, all this rigmarole right? Because IBS diagnosis is based on symptoms in the absence of worrisome features and other, and once other potential conditions have been ruled out. So basically they land on the conclusion, oh, you have IBS because you don't have all the other awful shit, right? So basically it's a process of elimination. And what they're trying to make sure that you don't have is IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. Giardia, gastroenteritis, SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, right? Celiac disease, ulcerative colitis, lactose intolerance, Crohn's disease, di diverticulitis, colon cancer, right? All these other things they're testing for to make sure you don't have that. Which brings me back to why I say, if, if I'm going to work with somebody, I need to know that they actually have IBS and not some other thing. Because God forbid you're trying to treat somebody and help them with IBS. But actually, it's like, hey, maybe they have Crohn's or maybe they have ulcerative colitis or maybe they have, you know, God forbid, colon cancer. So it's like we want to know that it's truly an IBS um, diagnosis. And here's also why it's important. I pulled this, um, I think this was on Wikipedia where I got this little, this little um, statistic. It says, people with IBS are at an increased risk of being given inappropriate surgeries, such as um, getting your appendix removed, appendectomy and appendectomy, um, gallbladder removal 
and hysterectomies due to being misdiagnosed as other medical conditions. So it's really, really, really important that you go and see a gastroenterologist and somebody who knows what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to IBS and this stuff, because people can get misdiagnosed. This is really important. Okay. So now we're circling back to those, um, those little initials I told you. Okay. So the Rome criteria, remember, this is a set of criteria where they use to classify a diagnosis of somebody with FGID. So FGID stands for functional gastrointestinal disorder. Okay. FGID, functional gastrointestinal disorder. All right. Also known as DGBI, which is a disorder of gut brain interaction. I'm going to say that again, DGBI. It's a disorder of gut brain interaction. And that's what IBS is. Okay. So IBS and other DGBIs, right? They're basically disorders of the gut brain interaction, because here's the thing. It's believed that what is the most critical abnormality of what's happening here is that there's an impaired, not working great. There's an impaired communication between the gut and the brain, between your belly and your brain via the nervous system in both directions. So I'm going to hold up for those of you who are watching, I'm going to hold up just a little, a little visual because these can be helpful. So this came from the Cleveland Clinic in 2022. Um, it's a picture of what's called visceral hypersensitivity. And I'll talk about that later because I, I have this and um, most IBS people suffer from this um, condition as well. Okay. So you can see here. So what it is, it's a drawing of a woman's body and you can see, it's almost like you can see through her to her inner organs. You can see her brain, you can see her lungs, you can see her um, intestines, her stomach, like all the, all the different, you know, all the different, her bladder, the digestive system, the heart, the lung, all this stuff. And what happens is, is that the brain and the belly don't speak well to one another. There is a problem with, there's an ab abnormality and there's impaired communication between the gut and the brain via your nervous system. So this is just a little picture that is showing a green arrow from um, the brain down to the intestines and then a red arrow from the intestines up to the brain because this is what we know, right? So what happens is the body starts to feel a little quirky. You get that you get that um, grrr, that rumble in your stomach, right? You get that first little hint or wave of like pain and you start to panic. And then so the body, right? The gut sends information up to the brain, creating stress and oh my God and oh shit and what ifs and worries and worst case scenarios. And then the brain starts pumping out all this information like danger Will Robinson, right? So there's, there's a a little bit of an impaired communication system, okay, between the brain and the gut. And that's what this is. So I always say like this, I always say this is a, 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 a impaired communication is just a fancy way of saying your brain and your belly don't always play nicely with one another. <laughs> so we know in the work that I do, right? So if you're new to the show, you may or may not know, but if you listen to the intro, you heard. I'm a spiritual mentor, right? I am a um, integrative hypnotist. I'm an integrative change worker and life coach. I'm, I've been a yoga teacher for 25 years. I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. Obviously, I'm a podcast host, right? But I've been involved in these kinds of things, subconscious. I'm a hypnotist, right? As I said, uh, involved in subconscious reprogramming, neuroplasticity, how the brain works, how the body works. So the somatic, the subconscious part, the spiritual part, all these things, right? And so- 
uh, what we know is that the brain is only sending about 20% of information down to the body, but the body is sending like 80% of information through the nervous system back up to the brain. And sometimes those wires get a little cross. Those wires get a little weird, right? They don't always, again, like I said, play nicely with one another. And while it's like really great to know, like when you get a diagnosis and stuff, there's a part of you that's just relieved because you're like, oh, this is the name of the thing that I have, right? So your doctor will go and run all these tests and do all this shit, right? And then they come back and they're like, hey, hey, pal, hey, buddy. <laughs> Good news. Good news for you. Like all your test results came back negative. Everything's normal. So you're all set. And you're sitting there like you just want to weep. You just want to burst into tears because at this point, you're so exhausted. You're so exhausted and you're so tired of feeling like there's no hope and nobody can give you any fucking answers. And, and they can tell you, oh, they can give you a name, but they just tell you stupid shit like lead a less stressful life. They don't give you any tools. They don't give you any ways of helping yourself. And if you're like me, you're a proactive person. You want to help yourself. You don't want to just sit around and be victimized by it, right? Maybe in the beginning, right? Maybe in the beginning you realize some people do. There's always what we call like a, uh, you're getting some sort of a, getting some sort of a payoff, what we call a secondary gain. Sometimes like, oh, I get a little more attention when I have a tummy ache, da, 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 right? But at some point you're just like, I am so sick of this shit, right? I'm so done with having this thing and I want some real help. And they're telling you, you're all set. Your tests are all negative. So you're good to go. Everything's normal. And you're like, how is that possibly even right? How can that be correct? Because I feel miserable. I am suffering. I am suffering. How is it that everything is normal and I feel this way? And the thing is, is you can feel misunderstood. You can feel like totally alone and isolated. You feel like nobody understands. You have oftentimes family and friends making fun of you. They think it's fucking funny how long you've been in the bathroom or this and that, or that you're like, oh my God, hurry up. I need to go to the bathroom, drive faster, right? And then you see society and culture making fun of you in the movies and on TV. And everybody thinks it's a big joke, except for you, the one who is suffering on the inside, right? And it is no joke, okay? And it's frustrating because they don't know how to help you. You go to the professionals, right? How is it that the doctors, after all this time, still don't know what causes it, what cures it? There's no cure for IBS. So until there is a cure for IBS, people like me are going to step up and try to help using an alternative therapy. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I also want to share this. And part of what I'm sharing here today ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, peoples, humans, right? All the humans. I'm not just talking to the IBS sufferers. This is also for those of you who don't have IBS, but has somebody in your life who you care about or you love who does, and you don't understand sometimes what it's like to have it. And so I'm going to show you a couple of visuals and I'm going to tell you a couple of things to try and maybe you'll understand and have a little more patience understanding, compassion, kindness towards your people who are suffering with this, right? You know, there's always these, um, like when people have autoimmune diseases and stuff like that, they'll say, you know, 
it's no fun suffering in silent or with a silent disease because a lot of times you can't see their disease on the outside. But it's a fascinating thing to me. Even if we just stay with intestinal disorders, if you say to somebody, I have Crohn's disease, they're like, oh my God, that's so awful. If you tell them you have celiac disease, they're like, oh my God, that's so awful. You tell them you have ulcerative colitis or God, again, colon cancer, or you've had um, um, diverticulitis, you have um, IBD, right? Um, if you If you tell them those things, Everybody understands and they're like, of course, this is awful. You tell them they have, you have IBS and they laugh. A lot of people think it's funny. A lot of people don't take it seriously. A lot of people think you're just making shit up. And it's really, 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 really hard and challenging for the IBS sufferers to feel that misunderstood, to feel that alone. And they will start to isolate. They will withdraw. They will sacrifice intimacy physically, sexually, emotionally, their relationships will suffer, right? Imagine what it's like where you can't, you have to explain to your boss why you were late to work all those days. You, you want to go into your boss's office and talk about your bowel movements or lack of bowel movements or the pain and the suffering and the unexpected urgent diarrhea, right? Or the fact that you haven't pooped in like, you know, seven days, right? It's like, because this culture doesn't make it okay to talk about these things. So a lot of people suffer in silence. And then when they do speak up, they get made fun of or people don't believe them. And it's not funny and it's awful. And so it's one of the reasons why I'm telling my story in this way. And I've never told my whole story. I've always talked about the people in my life who know me, they know that my body, I have been on a journey with IBS, let's put it that way. Um, but this is really important and I want to talk about it. So very basic. I'm not going into all the depths of this, but very basic, right? Digestion starts in the mouth. When you start chewing and your mouth starts releasing, um, you know, spit, you know, saliva, that's when those enzymes start breaking down the food. It begins in your mouth. Then it goes down the esophagus. It goes into your tummy. It goes down. It drops through these little valves, right? Drops into the small intestine, goes down into the large intestine, goes down through the rectum and out through the anus. Okay, that's how it works. But the way that the food moves through your body is through the gastrocolic reflex. So think about how a little inchworm, this is how my mentor Michael talks about this, is a little inchworm. And think about how they move their body in that little wave. That's like what your intestines are always doing. They're just slowly contracting. And if you're watching this, you just saw me do a little thing, a little caterpillar imitation with my hand across the screen. But it's also like, I'm now I'm just squeezing my hand and releasing my hand and squeezing my hand and releasing my hand into a fist and then open. And that's what the muscles in your little inte in your intestines are doing is they're just kind of contracting and moving the food along. Okay, listen to this statistic. And I got this off my... Um, uh, I will call her a friend, my internet friend. We've never met in real life. Um, Heather Van Voros. Heather Van Voros is famous in the IBS community. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a, in a bit. And her website, um, um, uh, this came from her website, okay? And it says, and I think she got this statistic from somewhere else, but I'm not sure where, but I just want to give credit where it's due. It says, while healthy people have between six to eight peristaltic contractions in their colon, within a 24 hour period. So that means within a 24 hour period, you're a normal healthy intestine or colon. 
gets the signals, right? It gets the signal from the brain and stuff to just squeeze like six to eight times. And that's why a lot of people have regular bowel movements. They're like, oh yeah, I always have to go in the morning or some people are like after my coffee. And this is what's interesting. A lot of people use coffee as a laxative and they don't even know it, right? But they, they're like, oh, I need my coffee to get things moving in the morning. I've heard that so often over the years, right? So a normal healthy, right, colon basically contracts six to eight times. An IBS sufferer, those with diarrhea pre presenting, right, may have as many 25, as many as 25 peristaltic contractions per day. And the people who have IBS that are more prone to constipation, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, both of these things, they almost have none, none. So you can see why somebody who might just be normal and regular is like, I don't get what's wrong with you. What's wrong with you? How come you always have to go to the bathroom? I'm um, hello because my intestines do not work the same as yours. Yours do six to eight. How you doing? Somebody else is over there suffering with IBS, IBS constipation. They get none. And those of us with D, we get like up to 25 times. So that means that food is cooking through you. And that's why sometimes if you've ever eaten something, who here, who here has ever said, ooh, ooh, that Taco Bell, ooh, that food just went right through me, right? It's not actually the food that is in your mouth that is going right through you. It doesn't, like that food is, is, is probably still in your digestive tract, but it's causing when you eat, you're also starting the digestive process. So whatever was already in your intestine is coming out fast for those with IBS that are more diarrhea predominant, okay? And I'm going to show you a picture of this. And this came from um, Irritable Bowel Syndrome, Examining New Findings and Treatments. Um, the authors were Marvin Schuster, Michael Crowell, uh, Nicholas Trolley. Um, and it's for continuing education. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to show you um, the, this graphic. So again, if you're not watching this, if you're just listening, I'll try to describe what I'm showing up. So what they're basically showing on this graph is the contractions of the colon after a meal in a normal human. Okay. So those of you who are watching, you can see what I'm holding up and you can see, it just looks like, okay, here's before the meal. And you just see barely any movement on this graph. So you guys think of like a heart rate monitor, how they go boop, boop, Boop. And just think about those little peaks, those little like, you know, little mountains that show up on a graph. I'm trying to describe this as the best I can. So before a meal, somebody who has a, a normal human, right? And they call them normal humans, right? They're colons. There's barely any activity. And then about 15 minutes after a meal, those lines start to go a little bit more bumpier, like up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's really just indicating, okay, the digestive system is turned on. It's starting to move some stuff through the system and it looks pretty calm, right? Pretty normal. You're like, all right, 15 minutes after a meal, that's normal. Okay, that's the normal colon, okay? Let's take a little look-see, shall we? Let's take a little look-see of what it might look like for somebody like me who has IBSD um, and is sometimes, this is called, IBS is also sometimes called spastic colon syndrome. So that gives you a clue, right? That gives you a clue of what you're about to see. So in this, right, in this graphic, what you're seeing is 15 minutes before a meal, there's already some spikes in activities, right? Or before a meal, there's already some spikes in, in, in activity. And then Jesus Christ, 15 minutes after a meal, if you guys could see this, 
Here's how I'm going to describe it. If you've ever seen somebody taking a lie detector test and they are totally lying and that thing goes, right? And it creates those huge sweeping spikes all over the place. Yeah. This is somebody with a spastic colon, AKA IBS, 15 minutes after a meal. And you wonder why those of us with IBS can sometimes just eat something and we're still at the dinner table and we bolt, like we just get up and run to the bathroom because our digestive system, remember our brain and our belly have miscommunication. They don't always talk well to each other. And once this pattern gets established, it's also creating patterns of thoughts and belief systems in our brain. Our brains are getting wired for fear around food, for anxiety of if there's a bathroom, like, oh my God, what if this happens when I'm driving, when I have to walk across the stage for my graduation, when I get on that plane to go on vacation, when I have to give a speech, when I have to get up in front of my work and lead a group activity, when I have to like, you know, a thousand things, right? What if I have to drive? I'm a babysitter. I have to drive people's kids and I get an attack. What if you're a bus driver? What if you're in any kind of job where you're required to stay in one spot like a cashier or a toll booth collector? Or again, like I said, somebody who speaks for a living and you're supposed to be on stage or somebody who does a bunch of interviews and you know, you're know you on somebody else's time schedule and you don't wanna screw up their plan, their program, their event, right? There's a thousand ways where things can go wrong when your digestion acts unpredictably. And it is terrifying at times. And this is why a lot of people will start to withdraw. They'll stop literally going out of their house. They'll become shut-ins, right? They will not leave because they get so much bathroom anxiety or they're suffering so much. There are people on the other spectrum, we'll talk about this, right? Where they can't get out of bed because they're so debilitated. They're so debilitated um, with, with abdominal cramping, bloating, um, spasms, all of it. Okay. Here's another thing that is happening for the people in your life. So if you have IBS and you don't know these things, I hope this is helping you. If you don't have IBS, but you love somebody who does, I hope this is helping you that you're getting a benefit from this. And if you are, please, please, please share this episode with somebody that you love. Okay. We're going to move on to the next thing, which is visceral hypersensitivity. Okay. This is something that at least up to 40% of people with IBS experience, okay? So visceral hypersensitivity, what it really means is we experience pain or discomfort in our vital organs, in the visceral organs, not the vice, sorry, in the visceral organs. So these are like your soft internal organs, the ones that live in your belly, that live in your chest, that live in your pelvic cavity. So when a person has visceral hypersensitivity, the threshold, my threshold for pain, okay? Or your threshold for pain, if this is also you, um, in those organs is lower than normal. So to give you a visual, let's say that to a normal person who eats a regular meal, okay, they eat their food, it goes down through the whole process, the mouth, the esophagus drops down into the tummy, it's getting a little bile, it's getting all the acids, it's getting everything it needs, the gut microbiome's doing its job, everything, and they're just like, oh, that little, th those pieces of food going in, it feels like a pea size, like literally think about like a green pea, right? I'm just, I'm making, I'm trying to make an exaggeration so you understand, but I'm not exaggerating in the amount of pain we experience. But for you, it might feel like a pea. If you have like a normal, normal like a little garden variety, like a little green pea, right? For us, it feels like a softball. 
Okay. It feels like a fucking softball. And I am telling you, I'm not exaggerating you guys. There have been times when I have had an IBS attack. I thought I was going to pass out, literally black out from the pain. And you just like, I, you start to sweat. You start to sweat. Your heart starts to race. You're like doubled over in pain. And you think, oh my God, I might pass out. I've known people who have actually passed out from it. So all this to say, this is not a disorder to make fun of. This is not something that's just like, oh, get over it. You did, I thought you were trying a new diet. I thought you were taking those pills. I thought you were taking laxatives. I thought you were taking those supplements. I thought, why isn't anything working? It's because we have bits and pieces and parts that aren't playing well with each other. And I know all of this can sound a little bit hopeless, right? It's like, oh my God, this is awful. And yes, it can be awful. And there is some hope. There is some light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm going to tell you more about that. Um, we're just going to keep going because for me, it's so important to educate people about IBS because I don't think it gets talked about enough or the ways it gets talked about um, is not always very helpful. And I don't want people to feel ashamed um, or feel... Um, you know, to have that stigma anymore. This is like your invitation. This is like your pink permission. So I'm wearing my pink sweater today. So you can say a little pink permission slip to talk about this stuff and to not be embarrassed or ashamed, okay? Here's the different types of IBS. So maybe you can um, identify it, okay? IBS-C, this means IBS predominant consp constipation, okay? IBS-D is IBS with predominant, okay, diarrhea. There's IBS-M, which is mixed bowel habits. It used to be called IBS-A back in the day, meaning alternating, but now it's IBS-M, which means mixed. And there's also IBS-U, which is like the letter U, okay? And it means IBS unclassified. So people with IBS-D, we tend to be more, right? Those are like the urgent need to use the bathroom, those attacks and stuff like that. IBS-C, those are people with constipation who almost never go to the bathroom and they're so bloated and they're so distended and they're so uncomfortable. Um, there's a lot of other symptoms, but I'm not going to, like I said, I, I could literally do like a four hour episode on this. Um, so a lot of times with mixed with IBS-M, you fluctuate back and forth. So you'll have a severe attack, right? Uh, IBS-D attack, and then your intestines will shut down from the trauma of the, or from the I don't want to call it trauma, but that's what it feels like. But from the um, from the attack, then they'll shut down and then they'll stop working. So you basically go back and forth between IBSC and IBSD. That is what that is the 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 fantastic, wonderful gift not of IBSM. Um, okay, so here's what I want to talk about a little bit more. Okay, um, on my website, okay, I now have a page, and it's KarenKenny.com/slash. IBS, really simple, karenkenny.com slash IBS. And on that, on my website, on that page, there is a list of things that basically say, if you've ever had, and I list all these experiences, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple, I'll just, I'll name a couple because it's a long list. If you've ever been officially diagnosed with IBS by a medical doctor, if you've ever canceled plans, vacation, or travel due to your IBS, if you've ever called in sick to work because of your symptoms, and P.S., business owners, something you should know, and P.S., employees and employers, something you should know, 
IBS is one of the number one reasons why people call in sick to work. So many businesses lose productivity because of IBS. And this is why we want people to get help. We want people to find ways to manage, effective ways to manage and reduce their IBS symptoms. And that is part of my movement. This is part of what I'm trying to do and show up and help. Um, also, it is, I think, the the most popular reason why, I think it's the number one reason why people go to gastroenterologists is because they are having IBS symptoms, IBS-like symptoms. Okay. Uh, have you ever had to explain why you missed or were late for class, school, or the bus because your belly was acting up? You had to skip a family gathering or an event. You have not been able to get out of bed due to excruciating pain or energetic fatigue. You've almost passed out due to debilitating stomach pain. You've lost work or jobs or have had to turn down opportunities because you know with your unpredictable IBS, you had to say no. Like me, here's an example for me, a real life example. I would love to be, I would love to be on a jury panel, but I have to turn down jury. I literally have a medical note that says um, I'm excused from jury duty because I don't know. That's how unpredictable. Right. And in high stress situations, there's more likelihood. And we'll we'll talk more about this later, but more likelihood that I could have an attack. And the last thing I want to screw up is the justice system. OK, so um, if you've ever had to map out where all the bathrooms were before leaving the house, if you've ever had bathroom anxiety, if you've ever um, planned a traveling. Listen to this. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. And I know it's going to sound funny. You're going to be like, wait, what? To somebody who is quote unquote, has a normally functioning bowel, normal function digestion. This is going to sound crazy to you, but this is a real thing. And I'm going to tell you from firsthand experience, um, me too. I'll explain this. If you've ever planned, if you have as part of your strategy, if you have somewhere in your car, right, a traveling hoop jar, uh, garbage bag, Ziploc bag, or some sort of a system for your car, quote unquote, just in case. Okay. This is a real thing, you guys. Um, if you've ever been too embarrassed to openly discuss your bowel issues, if you've chosen not to eat sometimes for days, that's me, so that you could prevent IBS tax or manage outcomes. On and on and on. If you've ever had to find unorthodox, place, unorthodox places to go to the bathroom right now, I'm going to tell you two stories about that in a minute. Um, if you ever thought you were the only one with weird stomach issues, you guys, I'm here to tell you, you are not alone. You are not alone. And I 100% understand. I get it. I may not get your exact situation. You might have IBSC instead of IBSD or whatever, but I do know what it's like for 40 plus years, right? For 40 years to be an IBS sufferer. I really, really get it. And if you've ever been told it's all in your head or get over it, and if you've ever felt like you didn't know where to go for help for irritable IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, um, then what I'm gonna tell you about in a little bit just might be perfect for you. But I wanted you to know about this, that these are some of the things. You are not alone, you guys. There are thousands, I mean, there are millions. There are millions and millions and millions and millions. If one in four people or one in five, and let's even be generous and say one in seven people have IBS. Think about out of 8 billion people on the planet. Think about how many people are walking around with IBS symptoms, with suffering. 
Think about how many IBS sufferers there are. And the world is only getting more stressful. The world is only getting more unpredictable. The world is only getting more fucking crazy. So it's not surprising to me that IBS is on the rise, but a lot of people, and here's the other thing about those statistics, you guys, only about 40%, not everybody who has IBS even knows they have it. They just think that they have food allergies or food and food sensitivities or, oh, my, my mom had, my mom has always had a sensitive tummy, right? So many people have it, don't know they have it. So many people have it and don't go to the doctors. They don't report it. So the statistics aren't even the full gamut, if you can imagine that. Okay. So two stories. Okay. Just because I'm trying to humanize this, I'm trying to humanize this um, in what it can be like. So this one time, it was one of the first times I've ever had to break up with somebody and I was breaking up with somebody. Um, and I think I was in my late, I might've been in my thirties, my early thirties, like early, early thirties. Um, and I was dating this guy and I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this anymore. And I had to go over to his house because I had to return something of his, but he didn't know it was going to be a breakup conversation. Like I said, it was one of the first times I ever had to break up with somebody. And I was so anxious. I was so anxious and I was so scared. And my stomach was just like turning and turning and turning. And I'm literally sitting on the side street. I can see his apartment building and I'm near this cemetery and there's a bunch of bushes. Thank God. Thank God. Because I didn't have anything in my car. And I could not have made it to his house and nor did I want to go use the bathroom of the guy I was about to break up with. So literally I'm sitting there and I'm just like churning in my stomach and I can feel my stomach, right? Rumbling. I feel the cramping start. I start to sweat. My heart starts to pound and I'm like, oh shit, like literally, right? Literally, oh shit, right? And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I had to dive in the bushes. Thank God thank God it was warm out. It was in a season where there was like leaf coverage. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, oh my God. And it is the worst thing. Thank God I always have tissues and stuff in my car. But at that point, my IBS was like out of control. And I was like, oh my God, that was so awful. And then I had to basically like hope nobody sees me crawling out of these bushes. And it was, it was like at dusk, right? So it wasn't too bad. I had a little coverage. But it's so humiliating. You're like, oh my God, I'm a grown ass adult and I can't control my bowel. And you feel like a baby. You're like, what, what am I back in diapers? Like, what is happening? It is so awful. And look, I get it. There are way worse things you could have in terms of like, yeah, you're right. IBS is not going to quote unquote kill you. But it is like death by a thousand paper cuts. It is like one humiliating thing after another, one limiting thing after another. And the thing that I know about IBS, especially when how you're going to feel is so unpredictable, how you're physically going to feel is so unpredictable, is it, you, it, it makes your world constrict. It makes your world smaller. It makes you dream less big. I know that's not great grandma, but that it, it's like you won't go after your dreams for a lot of people because they're like, I have no idea when, when you know, chaos is going to strike. And so how can I possibly dream of having a, a book tour or a speaking thing or this huge company where I have to be out in the field or I have to be doing X, Y, and Z? You know, how can I be a professional athlete when I have to be on the court, but I got to go to the bathroom, right? There's all these ways that this, this combination of physical, emotional, mental, right? This dysfunction, it limits you and it limits your life and it can limit your joy and it can limit your love and it can limit your relationships and it can limit, it can limit your, your professional life and your personal life. So it's a big deal. Another time, um, 
I had gone down to, um, so every year on uh, the anniversary of my mother's death or Mother's Day, one of those days, they're very close to each other, May 7th or May 10th, I go down to Massachusetts and I go and I visit the spot where my mother's body was found when she was murdered, when she was killed. For whatever reason, one this one day, and I've been doing this for years and years and years. I don't get anxious about it. I don't, I mean, I might shed a few tears sometimes, but I don't, it's not like I'm sobbing and wailing. It's not like I'm emotionally wicked worked up or anything like that. And on this day, I'll never forget it. It was a totally normal day. Hadn't eaten anything weird, hadn't done anything. I just drive down like I always do to the spot, you know, where her body was found. And I'm sitting on this little side street in my car. And um, I go up, I do my little ritual. I sit, I talk to her, I do the whole shebang. I get back in my car for a second. And all of a sudden I get hit with, a, with an IBS attack, like out of the blue like out of the blue. And I'm like, holy shit, I am not. And I'm like, I'm like the Methuen malls, like right over there. Where's a gas station? I'm like searching my mind. I'm literally doing like GPS driving distances in my head, trying to, to map out. I'm like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And I still had to go to the cemetery in North Andover. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. So thank you, Jesus. My back seat has like tinted windows. And again, by this day and age, I'm no dummy. I have provisions in my back seat. We'll talk about that another time. Other than to say, Ziploc bags, wet wipes, toilet paper, you know, big jumbo bags. There's also a little portable toilet system that I now, a little, a little porta potty thing that's collapsible that I keep in my car. And most people have these for little kids, the elderly. If they get stuck in, if you live in a state where either you might be stuck on a highway for a long time because of a natural disaster or um, snow and stuff like that, you know, people have these little portable things and it collapses down really flat. I don't know. I'd say it's about like five inches thick, four inches thick. It's a whole thing, the whole thing, story for another day. But I have one of those in my backseat. But so imagine, imagine having to dive into your backseat because you can't make it to the bathroom in time. This is why people are afraid to take public transportation. What if they're on a subway? What if they're on a bus? What if, like you guys, I'm just trying to explain to you the rigmarole, the shit literally that people with IBS have to go through. Um, so it's not something to laugh about. And I know, again, I'm saying all these things. I'm telling you all these things. I'm not embarrassed by this stuff. I'm like, these are just facts. This is just how it is to be in my body, how it has been to be in my body. And I've done so many things so many things to help myself. And that's what we're going to get to now. Okay. So I know what it's like to move through the world with bathroom anxiety. Number one, I just want you all to know that. Okay. So IBS treatments, I've tried them all. <laughs> so here's the five different ways, right? Five different ways. There's diet, changing your diet. There's supplements, there's prescription medications, there's stress management, and then there's alternative therapies. So very quickly, I'm going to talk about these. Okay. Diet. So what you eat and how you eat makes a wicked big difference. And it plays an obvious role, not just what you eat, not just what you drink, not just what you put in your body, but how you put them in your body. Are you sitting down when you eat? Are you stressed out when you eat? Are you angry? Are you slurping down your food? Are you eating wicked fast? Do you not chew? All these things. So it's not only the food that you put in your body. Some bodies have a really hard time. So there's a reason, right? So I am vegan for the animals. I am an ethical vegan. I love animals and I benefit from it. IBS is also one of the, one of the reasons why 
eating a vegan diet has been so much better for me. I did not digest dairy well. I did not digest animals dead. Cause that's really what you're eating. Let's call a spade a spade. When you eat animals, you're eating dead body parts. That's what it is. My body did. And here's the thing. It wasn't just hard for my stomach to digest. It was hard for me to emotionally and spiritually digest the fact that I love animals so much. What the, what the fuck am I doing eating them? Like how hypocritical and out of alignment and not congruent is that? So things really improved when I, when I became vegan. Um, and then also um, the way that I learned to eat better. Again, we don't have time all day, but these are things that if I work with people with IBS, if I become your IBS mentor, these are all things we can talk about, okay? Supplements, oh my God, I've tried every supplement out there. I know what helps and what doesn't help for me, but I can definitely talk to you during our first consultation if we work together and start to figure out like, okay, this sounds like this might be helpful. But these things are like after the fact. These aren't even, I'm not even at the main thing that I think is the best thing that people can do for IBS. We're getting there, okay? Prescription um, um, medications. I've never taken laxatives because that is not what I need. I do not need more stuff moving through me quickly. So laxatives, I've never taken them, but people with IB, IBSC, they often take them. They take anti-diarrheals, they take anti-spasmodics. So you're talking over-the-counter stuff like Pepto-Bismol, Imodium, right? So many people take Gas-X, they take Beano, they take all these things, digestive enzymes, right? They like all, That's all mostly supplements though for the, for the digestive enzymes, right? So all the different kinds of supplements, and then you have the prescription medications. Lotrinex, I tried Lotrinex for a while. That was interesting until the reports was it started killing people. So Lotrinex was designed um, by the FDA or whoever. The FDA approved this thing back in the day, Lotrinex, for people with IBSD. And slowly but surely, people started dropping dead because it was slowing down the motility of their digestion so much that they were having major blockages and they were dropping dead from it. So hello, right? It's like it's 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 been an insane journey. Uh, from 19, from 1990, 90, uh, let's see, 1990, no, when did I first, dis, when did I first, whenever I first got diagnosed at 18. Yeah. So that was like 1989. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. Um, so there's all kinds of um, medications out there, but here's the thing with all of these things. They don't always work and they don't always last and they don't always work and always last for everybody. So not everybody's system does well on the same thing. One thing that has been wicked helpful, um, and again, uh, these are things I can talk about with people if we, we work together, but like stress management. So we're talking things like yoga, getting really good sleep, you guys. Sleep is so important when you have IBS. So yoga, sleep, relaxation, exercise, moving your body, exercise is important. And I know it can feel hard. You're like, I feel like shit. And it's like, okay, but we have to move the body. Yoga can be a really powerful and gentle way to help yourself. Breathing exercises. Okay. Yoga Nidra, relaxation, NSDR. This is like non-sleep, deep, deep breath stuff. All this stuff is really helpful because this is all stuff that calms down. The, the, the sympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for the fight and flight, right? That reaction thing, that amygdala turns on the fear stuff like, oh my God, chased by a lion, right? So all the stress management stuff, what it's doing is it's turning on the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest, which is the relaxation response. That's what we're trying to do, okay? So those are the five things. I'll say them again, diet, supplements, prescription medication, stress management, and then the Mac Daddy, 
And this is the one I really want to talk to you about. And this is the one that has been a lifesaver for me. And um, that is this, it is called alternative therapies, but what is it specifically? So for me, gut specific hypnotherapy, gut specific hypnotherapy. Now you've heard probably if you're in the IBS world at all about gut directed hypnotherapy, there's different apps and little things that you can do, um, but gut specific hypnotherapy. Here's the thing about hypnotherapy, and I'm not going to go into a whole big rigmarole about it, other than to say, since the 1980s, the doctors know this, the medical research and the statistics prove, the data shows that hypnosis is an effective treatment for irritable bowel syndrome and its symptoms. They've known this since the 80s, you guys, okay? Doctors don't know what caused it. Doctors don't have a cure for it. But we do know what really, 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 really helps to effectively reduce and manage IBS symptoms. And this is gut-specific hypnotherapy. And this is something that I do. Not only have I done it, not only have I used it for myself, it's what I also offer people. Okay? The, 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 Google, just Google it. You know, hypnosis for IBS, da, 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 you will see, it will come up that it is a viable, it is an effective thing to do. Um, okay, so this is the one I wanna talk about. And I wanna talk to you about how I discovered gut-specific hypnotherapy, okay? Because I wanna mention a few people. I wanna tell you a little bit about my menta and I wanna tell you a little bit about these books that changed. So I'm gonna hold up this little envelope. You guys, look at this. So this is a little envelope, right? This is from... It's stamped Burbank, California. It's my living in California, 1993. And I wrote to the Digestive Disease Associates, right? I was, all these little pamphlets, I have all these different, I'm holding them up. You guys can see them. I have all these different little, like you and irritable bowel syndrome, right? The International Foundation for Bowel Dysfunction. You guys, if you could see how old these things are, I've kept them this whole time. This one is from June, 1987. This one is um, the Irritable Bowel Syndrome Digestive Disease Associates, Burbank, California, right? These things are so old. This is how long I've been trying to figure out how the fuck to help myself and help other people that I love. Like I said, I've tried it all. I used to drink aloe vera juice. I used to wrap my stomach in castor oil wraps. Like when I tell you I have tried every weird thing, Ab like Maya abdominal massage, wind relieving pose, like I've done it all. You know what has helped me the most? The most. I'm not saying the other things haven't been helpful. I don't want to, I'm not being dismissive of that because hello, yoga teacher. I know how powerful yoga can be. In fact, my friend Heather, who I'm about to tell you about, let me tell you about her first and then I'll, I'll, I'll mention something else. Okay. So back in 2000, this book finally comes out. Okay. I worked at Crown Books in Burbank, California. I was a, I was a, um, so I love, I've loved books my whole life. Books have saved my life. If you, again, listen to my origin story and you'll know books have saved my life. Um, but I found this book back in um, 2000 and I'm holding it up. And this is by Heather Van Voros and it's called Eating for IBS. Okay. So I read this book. It came out 23 years ago, right? And way in the back, I'm going to hold this up. I have it bookmarked. It's so funny. Way in the back. I'm holding it up. You'll see all that's mentioned in this book because this is really, it's like supposed to, supposedly delicious, nutritious, low fat, low residue recipes to stabilize the touchiest tummy. So I get this book just looking for like recipes and stuff like that. 
okay? And way in the back under the directory of resources, I see this thing and I have it highlighted here. And all it says is this, it says, IBS hypnotherapy tapes. You guys, this is when they were still cassette tapes. Now, if you're really young, you might be like, I don't know what a cassette tape is. It's just, it's like, you don't even need to know. But the, guys, guys who are in my age group, you know, IBS hypnotherapy tapes, right? From a guy named Michael Mahoney, right? Hypnotherapy, hypnotherapist, but he's all the way in England, England. And the cost was 88 US dollars. So this is the first time that I ever see IBS, right? Hypnosis, that there is help for IBS using hypnosis. And it's some guy named Michael Mahoney. And I'm like, okay, he has these cassette tapes. They're 88 bucks. And I don't do anything with it, except I become aware of him. Okay, that's step one. A year later, Heather puts out another book. Okay, same same person, Heather Van Voris. I'm holding it up here. This one is called The First Year Irritable Bowel Syndrome. The First Year IBS. And it says a patient expert which is basically what I am too, okay? A patient expert walks you through everything you need to learn and to do. And this is an essential guide for the newly diagnosed. Okay, I'm holding this book up. And those of you who are watching and see, I have this little orange tab here. Because in this book, it goes from Michael Mahoney, this little dude with his $88 IBS cassette tapes in the back of a book to having a whole chapter on him and on IBS hypnotherapy. Okay. So you can see these are old too. So I'm flipping through some of the pages. You can see I highlighted so much information in this. I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Look at all the yellow, you guys, look how much I highlighted this. Okay. So in this one, it's talking about this guy named Michael Mahoney and he has created like gut specific um, hypnotherapy for IBS. Okay. You go back into the, talks all about the research he's done, the medical, because he's he was in the medical profession, all the all the work that he's done. He's been a hypno, hypnotist or a, a hypnotherapist for like all these years. He's been awarded like the Queen's Medal, like literally the Queen of England. He got invited to like the tea party and he was given uh, an award for his dedication and work in helping IBS sufferers. And so he's a really big deal. Okay, he's a really big deal. And when I go to the back um, of this, it basically says, um, hypnotherapy has been approved by the American Medical Association as a valid medical treatment since 1958. Though the concept of using a state of hypnosis to alleviate both physical and mental ills has recurred throughout history of medicine from ancient times. So it's true. We know the Egyptians used hypnotherapy. Everybody's used it throughout ancient times. And in 1958, finally, the doctors get on board and start to say, yeah, this is a valid medical treatment. Okay. For IBS, one of hypnotherapy's greatest benefits is its well-established ability to reduce the effects of stress. It goes on and on and on. Okay. Hypnosis decreases both pain sensation and a bunch of other stuff. I I'm not going to read you the whole book. But so in this one, it talks about Right again in the resources that's highlighted in pink. You can see um, he's still he's still hawking his wares. Right, he's got his he's got his hypnotherapy tapes. Um, now they're ninety eight bucks. Right, this is a year later. They're ninety eight dollars. Okay, I don't still I still don't buy them. Then I wait. I don't know when it was like a year later, two years later. I finally get them. I think it was like I think it was like maybe at the end of two thousand and one. 
uh, 2000, beginning of 2002, I get them, but now they're CDs. And they literally were, were shipped to me, right? And they have these, these like six different CDs and they were in these little pockets and there was a listening schedule. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm totally gonna do this. Number one, I've had a fascination with hypnosis and how and why people do what they do. I have been obsessed with why people, like why mom was my mantra as a little kid. Why mom, why mom, why mom? So I've been obsessed with why people do what they do, think what they think, say what they say my whole life. Especially then show me a Scooby-Doo cartoon where there's like the evil hypnotist, right? And I'm just like, oh my God, hypnosis. You can, you can affect how people think. You can, of course, okay? And then society comes along and all they really show us is stage hypnotists. They show us the people who are like getting you on stage and making you act crazy and cluck like a chicken and try to embarrass yourself and all this stuff. So hypnosis has kind of been getting a bad rap and it's gotten a bad rap and it's highly, highly, highly misunderstood because it's also seen as a way to just kind of like entertain or to get people to do things that aren't really that helpful to them, right? They're embarrassing. It's like, it's stupid. And it's, uh, it, like I said, those of us who use hypnosis in a therapeutic way, in a healing way, in a way to help people reprogram the subconscious mind, to install better belief systems, all this stuff, we have a lot of heavy duty lifting to do because it's kind of coming off of the fact that so many people think of hypno hypnosis as being some sort of stage performance act. And that's not what this is. Okay. So I've had a fascination with hypnosis for a really long time. So I discover Michael in this book. And to me, Michael is the godfather of hypnotherapy for IBS, right? going all the way back to his cassette tapes and then his CDs and then his audio programs. So what I start to discover from following him and, you know, I bought his product and I read all the stuff that comes with it. And he's, he'd been in practice since like 1987. And then in 1991, he saw his first, his very first IBS patient. So now he's been working specifically with IBS for like 30 years. Okay. And what he discovered through his medical trials and errors, okay, he did all these studies. He like put all of his own money into these things. And he discovered that his work as, as a hypnotherapist that was gut specific, IBS directed, had an 80% success rate. An 80% success rate, which is huge, you guys. Okay, fast forward, I get the CDs. I get the listening schedule. I'm supposed to listen to these hypnosis audios for a hundred days. So it's like give or take like three months-ish, okay? Um, and I get them, but I'm at that stage in that age where I have no patience. And at the time, I don't see the value of it because I'm young and stupid. <laughs> Let's just call it what it was. I'm impatient. I wanted a quick fix. I wanted to just feel better right now, make it different, da-da-da, make me stop having to run to the bathroom, get rid of my bathroom anxiety, all this stuff. And so I didn't stick with it. And that was on me. It wasn't about the efficacy of his program. It wasn't that the hypno hypnosis and the hypnotherapy couldn't help me. It's that I couldn't help myself. I couldn't get out of my own way. I couldn't sit still in my anxiety and in my nervous system and in my own body and mind long enough to actually help myself. Here's the catch. Here's what's important. Just, I want you, if you are an IBS sufferer, I want you to hear this loud and clear, okay? When I finally got sick and tired of being sick and tired, 
I sat my ass down and I committed to the program and it had exponential, exponential relief, help, effect. My symptoms got so much better. Now I use a combination of things, but my main go-to, because again, like I said, I already told you I'm vegan. I do things a certain way. I don't drink coffee. I don't, and I, it's, I don't not drink coffee just because of IBS. Uh, I don't drink coffee because I don't like coffee. I don't drink coffee. Right. But there's a lot of things I don't do. Uh, and there's a lot of things I do do. And one of the most important and powerful and life-changing things that I've done is gut specific hypnotherapy for IBS. Life changer. Okay. So what's so fascinating about all of this is when you look at all the things that actually help IBS, I literally became those things. It's like change your diet, became vegan, did that. I was also macrobiotic. I was macrobiotic and vegan for two years. And it was the best I ever felt in my life when it came to like food and my digestion and stuff in that way, in that way, in that food specific way. Um, and then it's like, oh, do some um, alternative uh, therapies and practices. Hello, I totally became a yoga teacher. I became a Reiki instructor, right? I use pranayama and breath work practices. Uh, you know, I use uh, all, 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 all Thai yoga massage. I became a Thai yoga massage person. It's so fascinating to me now looking back that I became all of these things. You know, under the guise, it might look like, oh, she helps other people. But at that time, I think my spiritual team, and this is the spiritual aspect, I think my highest self, the part of me that is not insane, I always say whoever is the most sane at the time. So there were, I think that there were times when my inner teacher, my inner knowing, my highest self was like, we're going to help this kid and we're going to give her a curiosity, right? We're going to give her a curiosity and a leaning towards these modalities, towards these practices, towards these brain science tools. They're going to help her to help herself first. And I think about this work that I do, and we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a minute. I think of this work that I do um, is that so first of all, number one, I had to get I had to suffer enough. My pain had to become so bad. My, my my bathroom anxiety, my debilitation, all those things had to become so fucking bad that I was willing to be uncomfortable and try something different. I was willing to commit to it right? I had to get sick and tired enough of being sick and tired and not looking for a quick fix and not looking for the immediate solve and not looking for, I didn't have to do any of the work or change, right? When I started to get serious about my own happiness, my own health, my own wholeness, my own peace, right? When I got serious, then things started to change. So, the great thing, though, about hypnosis is that you don't have to do anything except to get quiet and listen, to relax, lay down, get still, <laughs> and listen. And if you can't commit to the listening part, if you can't commit to doing your part, there's a reason why they say in programs that work, it works if you work it, you've got to do your part. No hypnotist, I don't care if it's Michael Mahoney or me or whoever, no hypnotherapist can make you do this stuff and listen to the audios and do the things that are part of the program and the protocol. You've got to want the change. You've got to want to do it. That's the, that is the pinky swear of saying like, yeah, all right, I'm committed to this. And I really only want to work with people who are truly committed to playing a proactive role in their own healing. 
who are gonna do and follow the protocol because I know that when it's followed, it helps. Okay, and I'm back. Okay, so here's the thing. So I, I think it's fascinating that I decided to become all these things because here's the thing, here's how I look at the work that I do. And whether I look at it as a spiritual mentor, an integrative hypnotist, an integrative change worker, a life coach, um, a yoga teacher, a writing instructor, blah, 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 all the things, right? All the certifications, all the things. I think of it like this. Think of it like a burning building. So I was a person who was on fire. Like, let's say, we'll say IBS specific. I was a person whose intestines were like, felt like they were on fire. And I got out of that burning building and I went over to the medical tent and I rested and I started to heal and I gathered resources, right? And I got education and I trained myself and I practiced and I embodied and I learned and I got well enough to now turn around so I can grab some buckets of water, AKA hypnosis and stuff and run back to put out the people who are still on fire, to help the people who are still suffering. That's how I look at this. It's how I look across the whole spectrum of what I do, right? I don't just do IBS hypnosis. I also have like one-to-one -one spiritual mentoring where I use hypnosis, but in this specific case, right? I am using IBS specifically to help people, okay? We're going to talk about my program and how I help and all of that in one second. But I, I just really want to talk about this. Okay. So there's another way of looking at this. And I always say that if you're lucky enough, and I first heard this, I first heard this from Dennis Lehane, who's a, who's a wonderful Boston writer. I mean, he's bigger than that now, but if you, if you read, you probably know who Dennis Lehane is. But Dennis Lehane was quoting the father of my writing mentor, Andre Debus III. So Dennis Lehane quoted Andre Debus senior as one saying you know it basically if you get to the top floor if you take the elevator to the top floor you don't stop the elevator car and keep it up there and be greedy and stingy if you're lucky enough to make it to the top floor you send the elevator back down to pick up the people who are coming up behind you and i believe that that is how i like to help if i go and learn something it's a protocol, a program, a tool, a skill set, whatever. I often then, once I've spent time with it, practice it, utilized it myself, understand it, have my own wisdom and spin to put on it, right? Have something to add to it and to help people with. I like to send the elevator back down and offer something because that's one of my biggest things. You know, if you listen to the show, it's spreading more love in the world. It's helping to end suffering for more humans and more animals. This is my purpose in life. This I know to be true. And whether I do it through storytelling or yoga or mentoring or spiritual mentoring or hypnosis or leading workshops or retreats, I'm gonna bring all parts of myself and we're gonna try to do the best that we can do to help you. Or I, meaning me and all my parts. So I'm gonna do the best that I can. And I'm gonna try to do it in the most compassionate but yet fun way. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so here's the thing. Okay. I finally discovered Michael. I do. I finally do the program. Da, 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 da. Okay. Been obsessed with hypnosis in my own way, like my whole life. So recently in the last two years, right? So two years ago, I finally do my certification. I get certified in hip, hip, hypnosis um, through the National Guild of Hypnosis, the NGH, which is one of the largest and oldest hypno, hypnosis. Um, what do we want to call it? Not a, it's, um, 
you know, the overseer association that exists for like for for in the US anyways, in the US. Okay. So I get certified to become a hypnotist. Then I go on to study and get certified and learn from the brilliant, the brilliant Melissa Tears, if you don't know who Melissa Tears is. So I've taken not one, but two certifications with Melissa Tears. So I'm an integrative hypnotist. I'm also an integrative change worker using all these different modalities and tools. And so I've been lucky enough to study with some really, really, really brilliant people. And I've taken, like I said, um, National Guild of Hypnotists, Melissa Tears. And then when I was like, I want to start to help people with IBS. I wanted specific training. I wanted specific with something that I know that works. And I start looking on Udemy and all these different courses and all these different platforms trying to find somebody. And then I have this crazy idea <laughs> because I'm like, why am I nickel and diming this shit? Like, why am I bouncing around to all these? I don't want to say knuckleheads, but you know, my, you know, Vicky, that's how she talks sometimes. Vicky with two Ks. I'm bouncing around. I'm checking out this course. And I'm like, this is awful. Like I find this thing, I pay them. I'm like, this is awful. I read some books. I see that Mind Valley is doing something. And Marissa Pierce, not Melissa Tears, this other lady, Marissa Pierce, she's doing something. Grace Hypnosis. But all these people are like doing stuff. And But I'm looking for like IBS specific stuff. And the stuff that I find out there is not impressive. Because now I've had my experience with Michael's audios. I've had, I've listened to somebody who knows what they're doing, has been doing it for 30 years. And I'm like, oh my God, like that's the experience that I want. But my brain can't comprehend that it would be possible for me to study with the guy, <laughs> like the godfather of IBS hypnotherapy. It doesn't even occur to me for a long time that that's even possible. And then one day I'm like, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to find out. So I just start Googling some things. I stopped, da, 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 da. I reach out to him and you guys, this is how it works. Here we are. So now I have trained with Michael. I've studied with him. I am in a mentorship with him because I want to continue, continue to be with the leading, like I went right to the source is what I'm trying to say. I went right to the source of IBS hypnotherapy because I wanted my skill set to be strong. I wanted to have that ongoing mentoring. So if I had a question, I could go right to the source and say, hey, I need help with this, a little supervision. What do you think? So I'm just so delighted and so excited to tell you that um, I've been studying with him. I'm continuing to have an ongoing mentorship with him. Um, and it's just mind boggling. I still, I'm giddy with laughter. I kind of laugh. I can't believe, and this has been going on for a little while. I haven't talked about it. I haven't told anybody. I mean, my sweetie knows, my best friends know, um, but I don't really talk about it because I've been waiting for the perfect time to just kind of announce it and bring it out and say like, I'm ready to start doing this thing. I'm ready to offer this in 2024, January, 2024 is the perfect time going into a new year with this new offering. And I'm so friggin' excited. So you guys, IBS help hypnosis. Okay. This is a transformational program. I'm not doing some weird sales pitch. I'm just telling you about it. It might be for you. It might not be for you, but it might be for you. And it might be beneficial to somebody that you love. So if anything I've said today has been helpful to you, please just pass this on. And if you want to know how I'm helping people, just keep listening. Okay. So my program, IBS Help Hypnosis, it's a three-month 
program. It's a transformational program and it uses gut specific hypnosis to help people who are irritable bowel syndrome sufferers. So this is basically gut specific hypnosis for IBS sufferers. Okay. And basically what would happen is, and I'm not going to go through the whole rigmarole. If you really want to hear more about this and see this more in depth and see the whole thing, just go to karenkennedy.com slash IBS. But I do want to tell you a little bit about it. Number one, I, I want people to know that they're not alone because so many people suffer with IBS in silence. Again, out of shame, embarrassment, humiliation, feeling misunderstood, feeling like nobody gets it, feeling like they've been made fun of, all the stuff. And th that day is over. Like those days are over because I'm here and there, there are people out there, not just me, there are other people who do this, of course, and we genuinely want to help. But the difference here is, is that a lot of the people who offer IBS hypnosis or gut-directed hypnosis, they didn't have IBS. They're doing it more from a, I read that this can help. I know that this many people have this and it can be a good business, da, 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 da. When I tell you, you guys, from the bottom of my heart, like I am doing this because I really, really, really want to help people because I know, like I know, I can't tell you how many tears I've shed out of frustration, out of anger, out of physical pain because of IBS. The, 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 the multiplicital ways, I don't even know if that's a word, doesn't matter, that IBS has affected my life. And I just really want to help people, but I'm somebody who also understands what it's like. So there's no judgment, there's no embarrassment, there's nothing you could probably say to me that I'd be like, ew, or I, I'm not, there's nothing you could say to me, I'm gonna be ill. But what I mean is I've probably heard it all. I have probably heard it all. Because even just in my day-to-day -day life of people knowing that I have IBS, I have coached and counseled and mentored people all along. When they come to me and they're like, oh my God, I think I have IBS. And I'm like, okay, here's some things that'll be helpful for you. And what I find is they're not willing to give up the habits. They're not willing to give up the thought processes. They're not willing to give up the eating. They're not willing to actually do the things that are actually going to help them. And I know hypnosis. I know this can help people. Michael has already gone first. He's done all the medical research. He has his protocol. He has his program. I'm like, I look back on it and I'm like, this has been proven to work for the last 30 years, helping people to get an 80% success rate. Okay, here's the deal. If this is something that you're interested in, we have an initial consultation. And it's for both of us. It's, it's, it's to see if we're a good fit. It's to see if I'm a good fit for you. It's for me to see if you're a good fit for me. And if I really think that this protocol, this hypnosis protocol is going to be able to help you. Because uh, I no more, no more suffering, no more suffering in silence, no more suffering in shame. So even if all you do is that first consultation, it'll be really helpful. Okay. So there's that. And then after the consultation, if you decide that you want to move forward with the hypnosis, because there's no hypnosis in that first consultation, that is just a 90 minute session where we're going to get together. I'm going to listen. I'm going to really listen. And I'm going to ask questions. And you can tell me all about your IBS experience, what's going on, what you've been feeling, what you've been experiencing, all that stuff. Because remember, I'm also a spiritual mentor. I've been doing this for many, many, many years, listening to people, helping people, guiding people, supporting people, coaching people. So even if that's the only thing we do is that first 90 minute thing, you can. But if you really want to get down to the root problem, because what happens is in the IBS world is all those pills, all the supplements, all those things, all the medications, 
all they're really trying to do is to get rid of the, the the thing that's showing up right now and whether that's the constipation or to stop the the stop the the diarrhea right now but it's not getting to the root cause of things and i really believe that hypnosis gets down to the nitty gritty it gets down to the root causes of the ways that our brains have been wired the way that our nervous system is talking to our belly i really believe it helps to like we think about ibs michael says that like um, IBS, yes, it stands for irritable bowel syndrome. It also stands for install belief system. And in hypnosis, we are installing a new belief system that helps with all the things that help, right? Stress, it reduces stress. It helps us to relax. It helps us to sleep better. It helps us to change our mind from a thought system. I really believe this, of fear to love. It helps us to feel more resourced, more confident, less anxious, more empowered. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible thing. Okay. So I have a three month program and we end up having like six sessions, five of those, you'll get six sessions. And then there's also like five IBS specific, gut specific hypnotherapy audios that I send to you. You get a wicked, easy to fall listening schedule, all this stuff. I'm not going to go on and on about it. Go check it out. KarenKenny.com slash IBS. And some of the benefits you're going to get from this, if you decide to move forward and help yourself, number one, just feeling not helpless, hopeless, or powerless. This was such a big thing for me. Knowing that there was something that I could actually do to help myself that was actually going to help. That was such a huge thing. Like my brain, like a flip got, a switch got flipped in my brain when I was like, oh my God, I get to be proactive. I get to play a role in my own healing, in my own well being, in my own happiness, in my own health. It was such a powerful thing to be able to know all I have to do is listen to this thing and it's gonna get into my subconscious mind and work its magic. It was so huge. Okay, but when you work with me, because I'm somebody, again, who's not just an IBS specialized hypnotist, I am also an IBS sufferer. I know what it's like to go through it, okay? You're gonna get one-to-one -one private support. You receive a, a systematic approach. It is built on progressive ongoing system management. It is so powerful, you guys. And I think that's all I wanna say right now. But if you're looking for an IBS mentor, right? Somebody to walk along beside you on your path to effectively reducing and managing your IBS symptoms, that's me and I would love to help. I would love to help. So again, just go to karenkenny.com slash IBS. You can see the program on there. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be able to be working in this way and helping people. You guys, I feel like, I really feel like that. I, I often talk about IBS as an affliction. I'm like, I always feel like I was afflicted with this because I was the kind of person who I am tough. I am strong. I am persistent, right? I am persistent. I'm that person who's like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not giving up. I got knocked on my ass so many times by IBS and I'm still like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to do this. And now I'm going to start to take some other people along the way with me, right? So that they can also feel better. And look, it's an ongoing thing. I'm not saying I'm cured. There's no cure for IBS. But the way that my life is now is remarkably different, remarkably different. And so this is part one of like the whole dive into IBS. And then next week, I'm having Michael on the show. I am having the godfather of IBS hypnosis on the show so that we can talk to him 
and we can hear his journey and why he started really deciding for 30 years to specialize in this and to help mentor and train people like me so that I can help more people. Because again, when you go back to the statistics and you think, okay, like one in four, one in five, one in seven people have this, we know that there are a lot of people out there that need help and they don't know that help exists. So I'm so excited for you to meet my mentor. He is the best. He has the best British accent, by the way. I friggin' love it. I love his accent. <laughs> and I love him as a human being. He is one of the most kind, compassionate, smart, brilliant, um, just funny, just lovely, like lovely human being. And he has such a servant's heart. And he has been helping thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And now you are going to get to meet him too. So you guys, thank you for being on this long ride with me. I don't even know how long this episode is. I hope it's been helpful in some way. I really, really, really do. And I hope if it's not for you, maybe it will help you to understand somebody in your life who has a, you know, a digestive disorder of some kind. But if you know somebody with IBS, please, please, please help me to spread the good word and spread the love by sharing this episode with them. Thank you so much for sticking in here. And if you could still hear the sound of my voice, thank you so much for being here with me. I appreciate you so much. And here's to a fantastic clean slate, new start, 2020-24, right? It's going to be amazing. I just have good feelings in my bones, fingers crossed. And I know, look, that's not to say that I'm not pretending like there aren't still awful things happening into the in the world. Of course there are. But the way that we can actually be helpful for those other things that are happening in the world is for us to get ourselves right, to get our bodies right, to get our minds right, to get in congruency, right? To get the assignment is alignment. So I'm not pretending that other awful things aren't happening in the world, but I feel hopeful that 2024, more people are going to start to, as I say, get their shit together <laughs> and start to think beyond just the self and the different ways that they can go out and serve and help their brothers and sisters and help their neighbors and help the animals and help humanity and help the planet. So I always say, you guys, wherever you go, may you leave yourself, the people, the place, the animals, the environment, the planet better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show. I really love spending some time together. Now, if you dig the show or know someone that could benefit from this episode, please share it with them and help me to spread the good word and the love. And if you want to be in the know about all of my upcoming shenanigans, head on over to karenkenny.com slash sign up and join my list. It'll be wicked fun to stay in touch. Bye.